Oh, it looks like most of you are getting seated. It's still morning, so good morning. morning. Yes, such a blessing. I was, uh, I didn't hear all of John D's message, but I, I'm just glad for that message and, and ones like it. I hope, hope the young people are, are not only listening, but, but taking it to heart. These are foundational truths from God's Word. So, uh, yes, very much appreciated that. I've been given the task of, uh, on this, this message, of preaching on discerning God's will. And that's just the simple title, discerning God's will. I have a paper being passed out there today, and it's not, uh, I won't be referring a lot to it. I would like you to have it. I'm thinking that possibly you prayer group leaders, you might want to use some of it in, in talking about uh, some of the messages. There's some things in there I'd like you to go over. There's some that didn't make it into the sermon and ought to have, and it's on that paper. And uh, point number 16 is a little bit of a riddle. You might figure out what it means. You might discuss it. Uh, you'll spend a little time on that. I've got it uh, yellow highlighted. So... <clears throat> The subject today is discerning God's will, and it's an important subject, and it's kind of dear to my heart. I was uh, at a time, our family was at a time back in, in about 2000 through about 2007, was in a very, very difficult place. A, a church we were in had collapsed. We were in not knowing which direction to go. And there was about a seven-year period in, in our family's life where, as a head of the home, I didn't know where to go. And so there were decisions to make. I needed to know the will of God. I wanted to know the will of God. I didn't want to move outside of God's will, but I didn't know how to discover God's will. So I am hoping that I can kind of bypass that process for you young people. You know, it's possible. It's, in fact, it's not just possible. It will happen. You will all need to make decisions in life, big ones, and little ones. You know, you, you young people, you young men, you know, it's everything from, you know, should I be, you know, should go in the mission field to start a business? Should I buy, you know, you know, this truck? Should I go into debt? You know, should I start this courtship? If I start a courtship with who? You girls might say, well, you know, all I got to do is decide which young man to say yes to and all my decisions are made. That's actually not true. You will be making decisions the rest of your life also. And helping your husbands, if most of you will get married, helping your husbands to make decisions. So the message today is, is primarily on how to make decisions. There's two mistakes, I believe, that we make in making decisions. There's two, I think, hang-ups. And that's when I think about those seven years of hang-ups in my life, a lot of it was that I was afraid I would make the wrong decision. Kind of had the idea there, there is a decision to be made, and there's a right decision, and if I get, if I make a wrong decision, then what? You know, I'll be outside of God's will. You know, there's only one right path, and if I mess it up, then I'll be on the wrong path forever. And that really will freeze up someone. So, the other thing is that the idea was that if I would make the right decision, then life would be easier. Now, we know that's not true. I'll give you a couple examples. We know that the disciples were in 
right squarely in the middle of God's will when they were going across that boat and the storm came, going across the, the, the Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee. They were in the center of God's will. A storm came, and they, were, they thought they were going to perish. They were in the center of God's will. Another an example of that, and so hardships happen. Another example of that is Apostle Paul, as far as we know, throughout his life, after he was converted, was in the center of God's will. And God said, I will show you what great things you must suffer for my name's sake. So being in the center of God's will does not mean that life will be easy. And, you know, there's times when, when it just seems like we're doing the wrong thing because there's so much opposition. So how do we know that we're in God's will? That's the question for today. There's big decisions, there's small decisions, and some people just simply do a lot of spinning in circles. A lot of spinning in circles going around and around and around. You know, uh, that some people just go with their gut. You know, they, some people are paralyzed. And then some people just seem like they just make the decisions very easily. They just go, just, you know, just something comes along, they just, you know, wing it. And we've seen people do that. You know, some people are good wingers and some aren't. We see some people just kind of gradually, you know, their life just goes into, into, into a crash mode because they've not thought through their decisions. Other people, it's the opposite. They, they're, they're so paralyzed. They're not making good decisions because they're constantly paralyzed by their decision. I'd call it locked up. There's some dubious means of discerning God's will. I don't know if it's a true story, but I read it, kind of like some other, you know, these legends that John D. talked about. I, I read of a man who had thought for years that he was called to preach. And he got up to middle age, and he still hadn't been called to preach. And he thought he had an opportunity. And one day he was, he was out in his field, and he was plowing his corn. And we call it cultivating, but it's plowing corn. In Tennessee, they call it plowing. And he looked up into the sky... And you know how clouds do sometimes. He saw the cloud. It seemed to say PC. Well, he took that to mean preach Christ. So he sold his farm and, and went out on the evangelistic tour. And the sad part of it was he was a terrible preacher. He wasn't getting any converts. He wasn't getting anywhere. He was not a good speaker. Quite apparently not called. One of his friends came alongside of him and just kind of whispered in his ear. Don't you think maybe those clouds were saying plant corn we just that is we need to be very careful what we think god is speaking to us when in reality we're just making up stuff inside of our head you know i knew a man quite well in fact a dear uncle of mine that i very much appreciate he went through a time in his life where he was constantly you know he would have dreams and he was kind of in a flux moment in his life and and he would talk with me, you know, well, I had this dream one night, and, you know, the tree was over here, and there was a creek running over here, and, you know, a bird was doing this, and there's a fence in the back. And, and he would interpret this that I'm supposed to move to, you know, whatever, move to Missouri, I think, in one case, or Arkansas, I guess it was. And, you know, it didn't work out well. The evidence of his life, although he's still a Christian, he's a good man in many ways, he ended up just leaving a lot of scattered testimony, kind of going by these, these, this dream method. So, you know, other people, they put out fleeces to the Lord, you know, that we go to the story of Gideon and the fleece. And that's how we get our idea of how to find out what God's will. We'll just put a fleece out to the Lord. 
I would like you to understand something about the fleece of the Lord. The fleece of the Lord that Gideon put out was not to find out what God's will was. He had already heard from God. But he wanted to be sure that God really met what he said. You know, this army is like grasshoppers covering the ground. And you want me to go out against them? Yes, I do, God said. You know, we don't have, a, we don't have any record, but I would have thought... That something like Abraham was told to go sacrifice his son. Really? That would be a good time to put a fleece out to the Lord. To be sure, for sure, for sure that that really is God's will. So these are some wrong ways. But we don't want to, you know, sometimes we have this idea that, that it's just the big decisions. Or maybe we'll even go so far as to say, well, God just doesn't care. You know. As long as I'm not sinning, I can just do what I do with life, and I don't need to pay any attention. But James says, in chapter 4 of James, he says, you know, you say that you're going to go to such and such city, buy, sell, and get gain. He says, you shouldn't say that. You should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. God cares about the little decisions and the big decisions, and he wants us to take him into account in what we do. It matters. God isn't just, God isn't just uh, uh, say, well, go ahead, do what you want to do. You know, my, my dad was really good, and I suppose some of you are too, that, that he would often, my dad would often say, if the Lord wills. You got that from that James chapter 4. And I would just recommend to you not to just say it, but actually keep God ever present in your mind as you think about decisions. If the Lord wills. We will do this or that. I should have told you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 12. And you're very familiar. I probably could just tell some of you to quote it. Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. And I would like you to see Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now, don't go to sleep on Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's probably the most popular verses to preach from anywhere in the plain circles, as far as I know. It is So we get very... You know, we, we hear it, we get bored by it. But I would like to see it maybe in a little different light today because I would like to show you this passage in light of decision-making. Making decisions. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Maybe you're there by now. I beseech you, therefore... Brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. There's two things here. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that. It's that is in there, but I want to add the word that, because, or the word so, because so helps us to see what Paul is saying. He says, wants you to be, he wants you to be not conformed to this world and transformed by the renewing of your mind. For what cause? Why? Why does God want us to do that? Well, that's good. And we've, we've learned these things all our lives. But one of the things he says is that he wants us to prove that what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Remember, we're talking about discerning the will of God. So the Apostle Paul is saying here in Romans 12 that I want you to be separate from the world, separate in mind, transformed by the renewal of mind so that... You can actually discern God's will. And so that's point number one. Point number one here, one of the foundational points is that 
discerning the will of God starts with a transformed mind. If you, if you expect to know the will of God, you have to have a mind that is transformed. Interestingly, we, we conform ourselves to God's will first, then we know God's will. Jesus said it this way. Maybe I'll say it. I'll say it. In, uh, I'll get there later. Let's get there. I'll get there in just a moment. I would like to put it in the in a uh, uh, that word. Prove means to approve after testing. In other words, by the renewing of your mind, by testing, you may discern the will of God. As you go through life, you're testing, and now you know the will of God. If someone is a you know, he's, he's overweight, he's miserable, he's diabetic, and he's eating Twinkies and sugary pop, and he feels miserable, and he's unhappy. And someone comes along and says, well, you know, this, try this. Try this way of eating. Put this stuff away and eat this. And he tries it for three weeks. And he starts to feel better. Well, now he'll go back and say, what else does he have to say? And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing God saying, come to God. Follow his will, and as you walk in his ways, you'll want to walk more in his ways because you will know his will is actually a good way. That is the point of this. So, only a transformed mind is capable of discerning the will of God and approving it. So, we're talking about being born again. You know, some people are are stuck. They just, you know, we have to have a mind transformed by God to even understand the word of God. The, will of, the Word of God is spiritually discerned. So, if we're going to understand the will of God, know what God wants for us, and yet, we're like Saul we heard about last night, who the Spirit had left him. He's not going to know God's will. So, being born again, having the Spirit of God, is integrally bound up with knowing the will of God. Number two. Doing the known will of God is training. Doing the known will of God. And remember, there is much that we already understand about the word of God. Let's don't kid ourselves. Sometimes we're just being confused because we're allowing ourselves to be confused. There is much we know. So doing the known will of God is training for discerning the yet-to-be-discovered will of God. Jesus said this, if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine. If you do it, then you'll know it. That's in John 7, 17. In the ESV version of it, I like it a little better. If anyone's will is to do God's will, did you hear that? If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Part of the reason why we need to have a transformed mind is because... So much of our decision-making is worldview and habit. Think about it. If we have a worldview that is be not conformed to this world, if we have a worldview conformed to this world, if we have a thinking process that lines up with the world's thinking process, then we're not going to have a will of God thinking process, so we're going, not going to be able to find out God's will. You follow that? We need to have a mind transformed by the will of God so that our worldview and our habits. Remember, probably 90% of what we do, and that's just a guess, 
is not thought out. You know, some of you, when Monday morning rolls around, you're going to do stuff that's not even up to you. Your boss tells you to go do this. You know, the house needs clean. The baby's diaper needs change. There is things we do that just simply is just built in to our lives. So a, a mind that is transformed, a transformed heart, transformed mind, not conformed to this world, transformed to God's spirit and God's heart, will begin to make those automatic decisions without doing a lot of thinking about it. So 90% of the decisions will be taken care of all by themselves. You know, as, as you think about, uh, you know, a good employee, you know, my, my, uh, my wife is a good example of that. She makes a lot of decisions. She works with me in the business. She makes a lot of decisions. And she knows my heart. She knows who I am. She knows what I would do most of the time. And so she just makes those decisions. And that is what a transformed mind does. We know God. We know who he is. We're transformed by him. Our mind is renewed by him. And we just make decisions in line. You know, think about, you know, God is a, I like to think of the analogy of, of God is, is, is in an orchestra. He is directing an orchestra. And he has a tune in mind. You know, and the more we're flowing with him, the more we know the tune, the more we can just go along with what's happening with the director. You know, if we're, if we're just constantly distracted and we're over here all the time and the director says, hey, wait a minute. And is always trying to get our attention, then we're going to have a harder time doing and knowing the will of God. So being in tune with the will of God is a lot like a director in music. Walk today in the known will of God, and you will know tomorrow the will of God. You cannot walk today in your own will and then come to a major decision in your life tomorrow and reasonably expect to know tomorrow the will of God if you're not doing it today. I cannot know the will of a holy God if my mind is on the earth. God is heavenly. And if we do, we have a mind conformed to this world. A heart in tune with the world will not clearly hear the voice of a heavenly father. And the next, the fifth point of that is hard to hear from God His will if we are walking in sin. You know, I was talking to a father one day and he was telling me the story. He said, my son was in this place where he was trying to start a courtship. He, he wanted to change jobs. He wasn't sure of his direction in his life. And, and he was frustrated because he wasn't getting anywhere. And he was talking to his dad about it one day and his dad was very discerning and and, it, and his dad was listening, and his son was frustrated, and the dad began to ask questions. And it soon discovered the son was harboring habitual sin in his life. Well, no wonder he was struggling to find God's will. Because his, his life was not a living sacrifice. He didn't have a renewed mind, and therefore he was not able to discern God's will. So if we're struggling to know what God's will is, often it's just simply that we are living in sin and our mind is not transformed. We're not born again. The next point, number two, we need to have an humble willingness to do God's will. We must have an un, uh, 
an humble willingness to do God's will. There's no point in asking for God's will if we have no intention of doing God's will. George Mueller says it this way. We all know George Mueller, the man who, whose prayers were answered. I seek at the beginning, he said, to get my heart in such a state that it has no will of its own. Did you hear that? Such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here. Still George Mueller talking. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it's usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. That's George Mueller speaking. End of George Mueller. We are often more confused by our lack of yielded will than our lack of adequate data. We're more confused by our lack of will than we are adequate data. If we just get more information, we need more and more and more and more information. That was something that I dealt with during those seven years of struggle is I was constantly looking for more data, more explanation. If someone would just, if I could just see this and this and this, then I would be able to make a choice. And I found that I was very much struggled with that. It didn't work out well. We don't need more data. We need more willingness. Bewilderment and confusion about the will of God comes from more unwilling than not knowing. Before we can pray, thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. Are willing to do that? God does not hide his will. You know, that's one thing we, we often think, well, God just isn't telling me. God isn't that kind of a God. He's not hiding his will. He is just simply, our will is louder than his voice. And that's a problem. That is a problem. The, the uh, psalmist says in the 32nd Psalm, he says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way whither thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. So are you willing? You know, if God is going to guide us just simply with his eye. Now, what does that mean? You know, we've all seen it, haven't we? A little, ch- a little child, and he, he's, he, he, he can't remember what he was supposed to do. And he looks back at his daddy, and his daddy just takes a glance. You know, go upstairs or go out and do the chores. You know, just a, just a quick reminder. If we can just be guided with the simplest little command. You know, it says, it goes on to say, be not as the horse or the mule. That has to be, which we have no understanding, whose mouth must be with bit and bridle. You know, there is people around, you know them, Maybe you're one of them. Life is hard. You know, just at every turn, things are not going well. You have to be yanked and jerked around. You know, God has to get your attention the hard way with accidents and, you know, and rebukes and, and chastening. He said, don't be like a mule. Just be like the little child who just looks back at daddy. And, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Guiding with the eye. Psalm 25, 9. The meek will he guide in judgment. And the meek, he will teach his ways. You know, Lord, tell me what to do. And if I like it, I'll do it. That is not, that is not meek. That's not humble. That's not willing. You know, there are people out there that we call cruising for a bruising. You know, their life is they're going on their own, and we all can see it. Now, how often have we seen somebody that's decided to go a direction? You know, 
They've been in church. They've been doing fine. And just recently, I, I know a, a young lady who was just going in a good direction. And all of a sudden decided not to and started going the other direction. And, you know, I'm just saying, I don't know where this is going to end, but she's cruising for a bruising. You know, it's going to hurt. You know, it's the bit and the bridle is the only thing that's going to bring her back, I'm afraid. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. You know, I, that was a very dear verse that I began to really take to heart during that seven years. I began to do something I hadn't been doing, just simply acknowledging God's authority. You know, just, you know, I, didn't all, I didn't, still didn't know where I was going, but just to start acknowledging who God is and that he is in my life began to change my life. Just acknowledge that he is in charge. I was going to write it on the board, but I'm moving. I'm going to move pretty quick here. But you remember when Peter was up on the housetop and the Cornelius's ambassage came to his house. You remember that he got this dream and the, the animals were, were, were on that sheet and, and God said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Do you remember Peter's answer? Not so, Lord. And I would like us just to think about that phrase, not so. I'd like you to separate it as a choice. You've got not so on the one side, and you have Lord on the other. You know, we say Lord, and that means God, you're in charge. I acknowledge you. Or we say, not so. You know, maybe you, some of you are in a place where it's a question of obeying your parents. Right now, or the church. And you have a question is it not so? Or is it Lord? Maybe there's something in your life that your conscience is not easy about. You know, really, what God's heart is, but you don't want to give it up. What is it? You know, if you're sitting here listening to me, you know what it is. Something in your life you really ought to stop doing, something you ought to put away. Is it not so? Or is it Lord? We're talking about the will of God here. What is the will of God? Maybe you're wasting your time. You know it. You're spending way too much time on social media. Or you're spending way too much time reading stupid novels. Or you're spending way much too much time sleeping and sleeping in and messing around with your life and not getting anything done. And God has put his finger on that area of your life. Is it not so? Or is it Lord? What about a lot of you in this place? Are you trusting God for courtship? You know, is it... You know, timing and the person. Are you trusting God for his will to be done in your life? Not so. Remember, we're talking about humble willingness. This is point two. Humble willingness to do God's will. Not so or Lord. So these two points, I have two of them here. We have the, they're kind of foundational. It's a renewed mind and a willing heart. A renewed mind and a willing heart. That's points one and it's points two. Right there, they're very foundational. The next points, three, four, five, and six, I refer to as witnesses. There are four witnesses or four checks and balances that should all be in order. It should be, you know, if these four things are yeses, if you can say yes to these four witnesses that I'm going to speak about, and the four things are the Holy Spirit's word, the word of God, Godly counsel and God's providence. We'll talk about each of those four things. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, Godly counsel, and God's providence. Those four things are yes. We can be pretty sure that it's a yes. Four witnesses. Witness of those things. If 
only two of them are yes and two of them are no. It's time to wait. It's time to just stop a moment and ask God what is next. If the four things are no, stop. Please stop. So the, the first witness and the third point is the Holy Spirit. The witness of the Holy Spirit concerning God's will. Now, all of you in this room are going to say, of course I don't want to do what the Holy Spirit doesn't want me to do. If you're born again, you don't want to be resisting the Holy Spirit. You're not opposed to doing what the Holy Spirit does. And so when the preacher stands up and says, well, do what the Holy Spirit says. Well, you say, yes, of course, but how do I know? Anybody have that question? How do I know what the Holy Spirit's will is? Well, I would like to help you with that a little bit. You know, I told you a while ago during that, that seven years, I had this kind of this checklist mentality. I would ask counsel, and I'd do the, go through the checklist, and I would, you know, cost-benefit analysis, and there's all kinds of ways. Try to figure out what the right thing to do is. Spent seven years kind of trying to find my way. Well, there finally came a day, and there's some, some circumstances, and the door opened, a phone call was made, and there was just this settled peace for the first time there was, the roadblocks were all gone. I didn't have to do the cost-benefit analysis. I didn't have to ask a lot of dumb questions. I was just at peace. It felt like the Holy Spirit. And I can say that the evidence has borne that out, that that direction we took after that, actually, that was when we landed where we're at today, is like it was all of a sudden there was a peace. No longer asking a lot of counsel or making the checklist. That is one of the things. George Mueller said it this way. I seek the will of, will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. And we're going to get there. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusion. If the Holy Ghost guides us at all, He will do it according to the Scriptures and never contrary to them. So the Holy Ghost is extremely important. So when I think of the transformed mind and the Holy Spirit, I put them two together. It's a description of being born again. It's a description of a life that is in tune with God. If you want to see how that works, you think about uh, in uh, Jeremiah. I have often thought about that. You know, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is telling the king what to do. The other prophets are saying something entirely different. One saying resist, the other is saying yield. Now, how is King was it Hezekiah? I think no, it was before that. Zedekiah. Zedekiah. King, how was King Zedekiah to know who was telling the truth? It was a difference between the Holy Spirit and a transformed mind, and not. That's the only, really the only way I would know. I would say the other prophets made a lot more common sense. Than Jeremiah. But Jeremiah was hearing from God and the others were not. Another example of that is in 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells the Thessalonians, he said, I wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. Then in Acts 16, he talks about going to Asia and he says, The Holy Ghost prevented us. How do we know when we're supposed to push through because it's the devil? And how do we know when we're supposed to back off because it's God? How do we know that? It's the Holy Spirit is how we know that. And I don't know if I can always explain that, but you know, let's jump on to, uh, maybe, maybe this will help. You know, the Apostle Paul, he was, you know, he was compelled. 
He was compelled to go. He was compelled to, to, to preach the gospel. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. That would be one example of the Holy Ghost. We know, you know, if it's just God's call, it doesn't matter how much it costs, I'm going to do what God says. I might have to give up everything, but it's what God wants me to do. You know, Ezekiel was, was one who, if you've ever read the book of Ezekiel, it's a puzzling book, but, you know, he was just drug into the, into the wilderness and, and uh, Jesus was driven into the wilderness at one point. There's times when that is just where God wants us and we just have to go. We need to be very careful with that. But there is times. So an example, another example of that is, is uh, Patrick of Ireland, famous uh, missionary to Ireland. I would say much of the English-speaking world is Christians because of Patrick of Ireland. Probably the good chance you are a Christian because somewhere way back many generations ago, Patrick of Ireland preached to your ancestors. That's a, being the English speaking. Of course, we came from Germany and that's another story. But nevertheless, he was, he was called to go to Ireland and I believe it was 36 years from the time he was called, felt like he needed to go, to the time his authorities finally let him go. You know, through thick and through thin, through disappointments, through life circumstances, he still, when the door opened, 36 years he held on. Is that the Holy Spirit? I think it is. I think we can know. It's not just a fleeting thought. It's, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is saying yesterday, today, and forever, our thoughts, they go wherever they go. When Patrick of Ireland was free, away he went. Another example is Gladys Aylward, the missionary to China, the little lady. She was turned down by a mission society. She was worked as a governess, made very little money, finally saved up just enough money to get a, get a, a, a ship over to part of the way to China. I think it was into uh, or somewhere on the, on the coast. And then she had to take a train. And, and it's a long story. But the, what's interesting about Gladys Aylward is, is no matter how long it took, this just constant, you know, she just, she just plugged away. It never, it never left her. She didn't get tired of it. She didn't get to the point where, well, I guess that was just a fleeting thought. When the door was finally open, she went. That is one of the things. You know what, just this, you know, for years and years, we hold on to the same thing. That might be God. It's not just a passing thing if it's the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> George Mueller says this. He has a little, just a very short little piece on discerning the will of God. And I've got a few quotes here, and this is another one. Do not depend on feelings. I do not depend on feelings or simple impressions, George Mueller said. If so, I make myself liable to great delusions. Martin Luther, you probably heard this poem and didn't know it was Martin Luther. He says this, feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My authority is the word of God, not else is worth believing. And that brings us to the, the second witness, which is the fourth point, is the witness text. I would like to point out to you the reason he didn't go to Ireland any sooner than he did was because of authorities. Now, was he wasting his time all those years? It doesn't look like it. He was didn't go to Ireland any sooner than he did was because of authorities. Now, was he wasting his time all those years? It doesn't look like it. He was extremely uh, effective missionary, even though he waited till his authorities opened the door. There is a place for waiting on godly authorities concerning God's will. Proverbs eleven fourteen 14 says, Where no counsel is, the people perish. 
people fall in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And there's four different places just like that in Proverbs. You can look them up. And there's a lot more that could be said about that. But it's the, the, the fifth point is the witness of wise and godly counselors and people. And, and people who have walked away before you. The sixth point in the fourth witness. The sixth point is the witness of God as manifested by... Now, this is going to take a little bit here. Those of you who take notes are going to struggle. Manifested by circumstances, giftings, opportunities, calling, time, and providence. Those are... The, the sixth witness is just the circumstances you find yourself in. The... The intellect you've been given, the education you've been given, the finances you've been given, the training you've been given, the opportunities you have, all factor into the will of God. Because God is not just working in your heart. He's working in the circumstances around you. He knew what you was going to be born into. He knew what, you know, he, he made you and put you where he wanted you for his purpose. And it pleased him. And we need to understand that that is one of the ways we know God's will for our life. You know, there's some of us that are never going to have the intellect to become a rocket scientist. We just need to give it up. We just don't have what it takes to stop trying. We're not all, not all of us going to be able to, you know, run a mile in, in three minutes or four minutes, is it now? Uh, whatever it is. You know, we just don't have it. Our legs are too short. We're just not made for it. So we need to understand that one of the ways to know the will of God is by the circumstances God puts us in. Providence is a word we don't use very much anymore. You familiar with the word providence? You know, back many years ago, if you read old books, they often spoke of the providence of God. And, you know, it's provide. What does God provide? The providence of God. It's the circumstances provided by God that direct our paths in this context. What are the what is providence saying about where we're at, who we are, and what we're good for, what we're here for? God will sometimes orchestrate a solution or a decision by opening or closing doors. I would have you open your Bibles to Romans 15. You've been in Romans 12. Open your Bibles to Romans 15 and we'll, get, we'll have a, a point from there. So we find the will of God, at least in part, by moving forward in the sight of God. Remember, acknowledge Him in all our ways with an open hand and a willingness to be directed or even stopped or turned around as God leads us. That's some of the ways we know the will of God. So in Romans 15, you should be there by now. I should be there by now, actually. Now, this chapter is, is quite interesting in that Paul is describing uh, coming to Rome. He wants to go to Rome. And, and he says in the 22nd verse why he hasn't. 22nd verse of the 15th chapter of Romans says, For which cause also I have been hindered from coming to you. What was that cause? The cause was that Rome has already heard the gospel. And I don't need to go to Rome. That's not my calling. My calling is to go places where the gospel has not been. So I haven't been going. I was much hindered to come to you by my calling. Think about that. It wasn't something else. It was my calling. So that's, you know, that's what we're talking about here is the providence of God. What is your calling? Paul knew. We don't always know, especially at your age. It's hard to know what my calling is. Part of, it, part of what knowing the will of God is trying to discover what your calling 
is. But Paul knew that he was hindered from going to Rome because of his calling. But there, the, the people of Macedonia and, and Achaia, uh, I just learned how to pronounce that. I always grew up with Achaia. You're not supposed to say uh, Achaia is the right way to say that. Achaia. I spent some time on that one because I knew I wasn't pronouncing it right. So Macedonia and Achaia had gathered up some money and they were sending it to Jerusalem and they were sending it by the hands of Paul. So Paul's looking at the map. He says, wait a minute. I want to go to Spain because that's where the gospel has, that's my calling. But the map says I can go through Rome on the way. So the map and providence of God, circumstances of life, made it so that now he could go through Rome. So how do we know the will of God? So he prays there. It's in the uh, uh, 30th verse. He says, strive together, into the 30th verse, strive together with me in your prayers to God. He has four prayers. And the one I want to point out here, the fourth, uh, it's the, maybe the third prayer, 32nd verse, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God. I want you to pray that I come to you by the will of God. So there's circumstances that played into whether it's God's will to come. So, you know, you, you, all, uh, you all heard last night about David. You know, David had a, you know, he was going to go after that giant. And, and Saul said, here, try on this armor. You know, it didn't, this is not David. David is a, you know, he's a shepherd and a sling and a stone, stone sort of a guy. And, and Saul's spear isn't going to work because David had, that's not who David is. David's a shepherd. He's not been carrying big armor around. So when he went after Goliath, he went as David, not as Saul. He went as a shepherd, not as a soldier. Think about it. We need to understand that we're not, you know, David was wise enough to realize that he wasn't a Saul soldier. He was a, he was a sling shepherd. And so we need to figure out who we are and we need to enter life that way. We need to stretch and grow. Maybe uh, David did eventually learn to use a sword, by the way. That's nothing wrong with that. But we need to understand that we cannot be something we are not. We're most useful when all that we are fits all that we are doing. You know, back when I was living up there in the north, I was, I was working in a machine shop. I, I enjoyed many, many aspects. I love the inventing part of it. But what I hated was sticking earplugs in my ear and being alone with behind a welding helmet for hours on end. There was something about that that really was against my personality. And there was also some repetition to it, and I don't like repetition very well. I like to invent things. I like to do things. But don't ask me to do the same thing over and over again. It didn't work. It meant my mind went nuts. Well, sometimes we just need to, you know, be like the Apostle Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, you know, if you're called as a slave, you know, don't fight about it. Don't get upset about it. But if you can be free, use it. So there is times when you just, we need, need to stress about it. We just need to say, I'm free. <laughs> I can be free. I'm just going to use it. And I was able to get away from the machine shop. I wasn't bitter about it. I wasn't frustrated by it. I tried to do the best I could in it. But I was sure glad to get away from it. So those are some of the ways we know the will of God. It's just who are we? Just who are we? So those are the four witnesses. Those four things should line up. The word, the spirit, the people, and the circumstances of God that are brought to us. When those four things line up, then we're in a good place. I'm not even going to get close here. Prayer and fasting. That's on your sheet. I'm just going to just let you read that one. Um, You're going to find a long list there. Several points. 
what is it, 18 points on prayer life. I will just say this much about it. God knows who you are, and he knows what's best for you. And if that was your neighbor, you would ask him. If that was your dad, you would ask him. If that was your best friend, you would ask him. And he is all those things. So ask him. Ask him. All right. The next four points are waiting. You're going to be waiting. At your stage in life, you'll be doing more waiting than you want. You're 20 years old, give or take. What? Our life is passing me by. I don't know. Why is it taking so long for God to get a hold of my life so I can start going the direction I'm supposed to go? Is anybody in in the room like that? I was when I was 20. Ah, let's go. So there's, there's some things I would like to say about waiting. And there's four points. While waiting, invest what God has given you. The parable, of, I believe it was the pound. You know, what did he do with his pound? He buried it in the ground. He didn't invest. Invest the little that God has given you. Take the little bit, the little direction you do have, the, the talents, the assignments you have been given, Don't bury them in the ground. Use them for God's glory. Am I doing? You heard that last night. The assignments. Remember what Mickey said. That was good. Are you faithful in the mundane, the commonplace, the little things? We are not wasting our time today if today we're filling the place that God has given us today. We're not wasting our time. Don't say, oh, I'm wasting my time. You're not wasting your time if you're doing what God wants you to do. Put your talents at least on interest. That's what the man, the, the one that was given the one pound. Number two, while waiting, do today what you're already commanded to do. And there's things you've already been condemned, commanded to do. Number two, focus on God's universal and previously revealed will. We already have it right here. Read it. Be diligent in obeying it. Don't seek to know God's hidden will for the future while walking contrary to his will today. You know, when I was up there in the north, there was a, another man and me was kind of in the same place, and we was talking together, and, and as we were talking, we both came to an agreement. There are some things we know to do, and I was remodeling our house to live in. I said, you know what? I know at least one thing. I know my house needs to get finished and get remodeled because it was a mess. You know, do what you know to do today. While waiting, do what you know to do. You know, when Esau was coming after Jacob, Jacob prayed, you know, the famous story of him wrestling with the angel. He prayed, but he also divided his his whole household up into three companies and sent gifts up ahead. There's some things, you know, we need to pray. We need to do what we know to do. You know, a, a pastor was approached by a young man one day and the young man was struggling. What do I do? You know, I've got these feelings, and I, you know, I'm not sure about, you know, kind of, this is kind of past in my life, and I'm not quite sure. There's kind of this open door in front of me. I'm not sure what to do with it. And I, as the pastor asked questions, you know, well, you know, send your life. No, you know, talked about, uh, you know, are you called to the mission field? No. And, and it seemed like it, at some point, the pastor finally said, well, you know what, young man? You know, he's a little older. He says, you know what? Most of us are called to someday get married. Maybe you should just consider doing, you know, it's not rocket science. It's not, you know, some high spiritual thing. It's not some, you know, deep truth you have to go into deep minds to find. Most of us are going to make, in fact, most of us are called to get married. 
to reproduce, multiply, and replenish the earth. There's a few that's called to be single. It may be, young man, it's time for you to just take the next step. It's time for you to get a direction and get married. You know, there's a place for singleness, but not for most of us. So maybe it's time for some young men to stop saying, oh, well, God has for me next, and just do the next thing. Do what you know to do today. Number three, while waiting, be holy. While waiting, be holy. I started a few minutes late, and I'm going to end a few minutes late. While waiting, be holy. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, you might put it in your notes uh, to look at. 2 Timothy 2.21, I'm sorry. While waiting, be holy. If a man therefore, in 2 Timothy 2.21, if, if a man therefore purge himself from these, these would be the sins and the, the wasted life things, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared, this is the point I want you to get, prepared unto every good work. If, if we are living a life of sin, we're not purging ourselves from these, we are not prepared. When God gets ready to take us, when we feel like we're sitting on a shelf, waiting on God to tell us what to do, while we're waiting, and we're living in sin, we are not ready. If we want to be ready when God gets ready to take us off the shelf, then we need to be holy. Holiness is preparation for usefulness. The other point I'd like to make is from point number seven in your notes, and I'd like you to go through the rest of those, but point number seven is, it says there's anger and depression and addiction bondages make it hard to find God's will. I will say this, if you are a depressed person, you know, if you go to a counselor and he discovers you're depressed, the first, last thing you should do when you're depressed is make a decision, make hard, especially big decisions. That'll be, that'll just be universal 101. If you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're down, you're seeing life from the black side of it, don't make big decisions. So depression also comes from typically anger and self-pity. Both of those make it hard to make decisions. I've been around some angry people, at the council, some angry people, and one of the things I discover is that anger prevents good decision-making. It, it shortchanges the process. You, you end up in a place where you're not making good decisions. A lot could be said about that. If you young men would like to preach a message sometime, preach on Ephesians 5, 14 through 21. Ephesians 5, 14 through 21 it is actually an outline for this message. If you, It's actually... A beautiful outline for decision-making. One of the things it says, be not drunk with wine. Addictions will cause people to make decisions, not from the Holy Spirit, not from the Word of God, but to satisfy their addictions and cravings. You know, I was in a, in a minister's meeting and, and dealing with a situation where there was a pedophile, somebody who abused children. And one of the things that came out of that minister's meeting was that a pedophile, I hate to use this example, but it was a really clear one, that he was steering and arranging his life so that he'd end up in places where he could abuse children. The same thing happens with an alcoholic or a drug addict. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll arrange their, their work, they'll arrange their, their, their path, they'll arrange the people they get with so they can get a hold of their drugs and their alcohol. Instead of arranging their life around the Word of God, they arrange it around their addictions, around their cravings. Young man, young lady, what are you arranging your life around? You know, the... You know, what grocery store aisle do you go down? What websites do you know will kind of lead over, over here? 
And pretty soon, you're arranging your life, not around the Word of God, but around your cravings, around your addictions. The fourth thing to do while you're waiting is to know that life is not passing you by. You know, David fleeing Saul, you're not wasting your time. You're out in the wilderness, you're fleeing Saul, it feels like a waste of time, but you know what? You're being prepared. You know, uh, Moses, you're out in the backside of the desert for 40 years herding sheep. You're not wasting your time. You're learning something about how to guide my people when they go through the wilderness. Jesus, 30 years old before you start your ministry in a carpenter shop, you're not wasting your time. You're getting, you're with the people. You're becoming one of the people you're going to die for. You know, David Brainerd, Many of you know him from a missionary to the American Indians. He was, you know, he was one that made very few converts, died at a very young age. And I would say if, if you would, I don't know, God can only say, but is it possible that the purpose for his life was that Jonathan Edwards would write his biography and inspire many young people to put their heart in the things of God? We're not wasting our time. Stop thinking you're wasting your time. The steps of good men are ordered by the Lord. You think about Abraham. You know, Abraham was told, get out. Get out of your country. Get out of your way from your father's house. Go. But he wasn't told where he's going to go. He just go where I'll show you. It was years later, a long story, until finally he got to the place where he was, you know, Lot had chosen Sodom, and God says, look around. This. Look northward, southward, eastward, westward. This is where I've been leading you all this time. You know, he was told to get out without knowing where he's going. Finally, later in life, he finally discovered where he had been being led. It's all right. Just let God be in God's steps. The steps of good, good man. Abraham was a good man. Are you a good young lady? Are you a good young man? If you are, your steps are being ordered. Someday, you will get up on top of that hill and you'll look around. You'll say, and God will say, this is where I've been taking you. Another thing I would say is just as a comfort, many of our decisions are reversible and they're not earth-shaking. Stop sweating them. I think that during that seven years of, in, of, of paralysis, uh, there, was a young, there was a man, he's just passed away a couple years ago now, that I was talking with him. He says, Clint, sometimes you have to do the best you know in the time you're in. Don't second-guess yourself and don't kick yourself when it don't go right. Just do the best you know. You know, when we finally ended up moving uh, to where we are now, you know, I was talking to a good friend of mine, and he was saying, well, did God tell you to go there? I said, well, God didn't tell me not to. And I think that it's within the will of God that I can. I don't think there's not, you know, God didn't tell me to. But I think and as, as life worked out and as I've seen him work, I think that was right. God wasn't saying there's only one right thing for you to do, but it was, it's okay to go. So I went, and God blessed it. There's times we just need to let, let God direct our steps. Sometimes we have to decide, well, what about right now? It looks dangerous. My daughter right now is in, in Haiti, and there was a time when it looked really dangerous. In fact, it's still kind of dangerous to travel through Haiti. And I went through a few days where my heart was kind of beating, and I was worried for my daughter. Is it really God's will that she be there? 
You know, we were just trying to discover God's will, and I was trying to discover what was God's will for my 32-year-old daughter to be in Haiti. And I finally realized that she's in the safest and the best place if she is in God's will. And I went through that process. I asked myself, well, is she in God's will? Yes, she is. I really believe she's where God wants her to be. I believe it's where she thinks God wants her to be. So she's in the very best place she can be. Uh, Missionary Livingston said this, we are immortal until God calls us home. So the future is a burden. That's one of the things about the will of the Lord. That's the reason why we're trying to discover the will of the Lord is because we're trying to figure out what direction to go. And one of the things that does is brings us into a clash with the future. I would challenge us that we will never know the future. God has that hidden from us. But we can walk day to day in his will. And he is with us. He's promised to be with us even to the end of the world. The future is a burden. Cast the future upon the Lord and be obedient today. God bless you.